I'm Matthew Smith, Vermont Edition producer, and I wanted to let you know that the podcast you're about to listen to has been edited for clarity and brevity. Thanks for listening and enjoy. This is Vermont Edition. I'm Connor Cyrus. Today on the show, we're breaking down the Affordable Heat Act. Last year, the legislature tried to pass a similar bill called the Clean Heat Standard. And listeners, if you remember, that bill got vetoed by Governor Phil Scott, and then the legislature uh, failed to override his veto by just one vote. Lawmakers say the bill is critical to get Vermont to reduce its carbon emissions and to comply with the state law under the 2020 Global Warming Solutions Act, which sets important targets for reducing emissions, some targets a few years away and others going out to 2050. Right now, heating or the thermal sector accounts for roughly 34 percent of Vermont's greenhouse gas emissions. But there's still uncertainty about how much this will cost and what this means for how people heat their homes. As Senator Bray, the lead author of the bill, stressed in the Senate hearings last week, the bill would be voluntary and a gradual change. Customer participation is voluntary. No customer is required to do anything, not switch fuels, not install full-time food pumps, nothing. So this hour, we'll hear from lawmakers working on the bill, the state's top environmental official, and from an Upper Valley fuel dealer and home heating system installer about what this could mean for his business. My first guest today is Senator Becca White of Windsor County, a primary sponsor of S5 Affordable Heat Act. Senator White, welcome. Hi, Connor. Thank you so much for having me. I guess this is a welcome back because you were on our show the first day of the legislative session. Yeah, with the uh, Futures Caucus. Yes. Now, Senator White, this bill is being promoted as a way to address emissions in Vermont, meet our state's climate, uh, uh, sorry, climate goals, and transition our heating off of fossil fuels. And the way to do this is to establish a bill that calls, uh, that calls for a clean heat standard. Will you explain what this bill is and how the clean heat standard would work? Well, thank you so much for the question, because uh, I think what most Vermonters are concerned about is how we meet those Global Warming Solutions Act requirements, making sure that we reduce our carbon. So to do that, the Affordable Heat Act, which, uh, as you described, is a transition name from uh, the clean heat standard previously, uh, that name change wasn't symbolic. Uh, That was because we wanted to address some important concerns we heard uh, coming from constituents. So So what is the Affordable Heat Act? Uh, Well, it prioritizes energy burden Vermonters by helping to kickstart the availability of uh, uh, eligible measures. So things like cold climate heat pumps, weatherization, modern wood heating, biofuels, all with the uh, endeavor to uh, have more affordable heat. So it's designed to help Vermonters reduce their dependency on the high cost extremely price volatile uh, and and polluting uh, fossil fuels that we see in our state. Uh, The clean heat measures that I mentioned earlier are really the core of the bill because we ask our fossil fuel dealers, the folks who are profiting off uh, the pollution uh, with fossil fuels, to be a part of the solution. And this isn't the first time the Vermont legislator has looked at ways we can address the thermal sector. But for me, uh, when I look at our opportunity, uh, this was uh, what we heard from the Climate Council as their number one recommendation. So there's a lot I can talk about that 
we'll get into this hour, but uh, I'll, I'll just note that uh, the bill has an estimated $2 billion worth of savings for Vermonters with an average of $7,500 uh, if you broke that out per household. And where do those numbers come from? Because I know that a lot of the discussion and debate around this particular bill has to do with how much this is going to cost. And we have heard so many numbers. And where where do you get your numbers? Yeah. So uh, my number comes from the Marginal Cost Abatement Curve Report, which was done by the Agency of Natural Resources at the bequest of the Climate Council. So to take a big step back, uh, a clean heat performance standard is something that would be new to Vermont. And uh, in a thermal sector, uh, and what we've seen in the transportation sector of other states like Oregon with fuel performance standards uh, is a reduction uh, in cost uh, and a stabilization of cost uh, in cleaner fuel types. So the purpose of the bill and where we get some of those cost estimates come from first, that marginal cost abatement curve report, and then I believe there's nine other reports that we've done on this topic, so very well researched, uh, and also from comparisons we see with other states who have moved forward with uh, performance standards like Oregon, for example, where they did see uh, a reduction in cleaner fuels. So we've gotten a lot of emails that point out that Vermont is a small state with a small carbon footprint compared to other states or countries. Jerry in Irisburg uh, writes, instead of the state approach to addressing climate change, shouldn't there be a New England regional approach? Uh, this bill might seem like the right model to pursue, but Vermont is just a, such a small state to effectively impact in solving the climate change dilemma. So Senator White, how do you respond to this idea that we're just a small state and our footprint is so small in the regionally and uh, nationwide? Well, I'm really proud to be a Vermonter because what I've seen Vermont do time and time again is clean up our side of the street. And Vermonters, unfortunately, we have the highest per capita carbon emissions in New England. So while we might be a small state, we are a part of the the difficult challenge of um, we produce carbon per capita more than, as I said, any uh uh, state in New England. And I like the idea of a regional approach. I mean, that's what we see uh, with Reggie, uh, the regional greenhouse gas inventory. Uh, but what I see as our opportunity as a state is to prioritize Vermonters now, uh, because the status quo isn't working. Uh, as I've heard from many constituents, the price volatility of fossil fuels has them making uh, extremely difficult choices uh, between food, <laughs> between medical support, uh, and between uh, fuel. Uh, so while the carbon emissions side really motivates me, I see us as a state having an opportunity to, A, respond to our moral obligation to uh, respond to the climate crisis, and B, to grow resiliency and be adaptable as a state uh, in ways that we've done time and time again, or we've shown to do time and time again. So I think Vermont has an uh, responsibility uh, and also an opportunity in a way that we haven't uh, in the past. Let's go to Michael in Burlington. Michael, welcome to the show. Hey there. Uh, I'm Michael Weiss. I'm a community organizer with Rights and Democracy. And I've walked through countless low-income neighborhoods where I see blankets covering windows, lining the bottoms of doors, uh, thin plastic film protecting windows. And, you know, like I think the carbon discussion is important. The cost for the state discussion is important. But 
we're one of the wealthiest nations in the country and you know people shouldn't have to wear their winter coats and winter hats inside and have to decide between paying for life-saving medication or heating their homes and a bill like this will make a huge impact on weatherizing low and middle income homes and i think we we need to really focus on that and thank you for that uh, call michael and thank you for sharing and thank you for sharing your thoughts senator white uh, this bill focuses a lot on weatherization and efficiency efforts. Would anyone be required to do anything differently under this bill? Would homeowners face fines or fees if they don't, say, uh, weatherize or replace oil furnaces with heat pumps? Thank you for saying that question, because it's been a point of misinformation that I think has been shared widely, which is uh, that there's some kind of mandate or requirement that individuals uh, have to switch from fossil fuels. And in reality, uh, if Vermonters are like me, I heat my home with oil because that's what was in my home when I moved in. It's not, I don't love oil. Uh, So... I need uh, support with the upfront cost to be able to make the switch, which is what most Vermonters need. Uh, So this bill, rather than mandating or requiring or having a a tax if you don't uh, make a transition away from fossil fuels, instead, it puts the obligation on our fuel dealers, similar to what we did with our electric utilities, to build in Uh, ways to transition their customers off of fossil fuels. Uh, And that can play out in a myriad of scenarios. Uh, Whether you are someone who needs weatherization, uh, you might not qualify for uh, free weatherization services. Uh, So that group of people, we would especially want to help people who fall between the crack of uh, not being low income enough to afford to get free weatherization, but not necessarily having the income to afford some of the upfront cost, but in the long term would see tremendous savings from switching. That is the group of people that we're trying to support uh, in addition to our, our lowest income Vermonters. And uh, for folks who are concerned that um, this is a mandate, I mean, that's just a, a falsehood. Now, this bill encourages zero emissions heating uh, like heat pumps, but it also encourages lower emissions fuels like biofuels, biodiesel, and biomass. Can you explain these fuels and why they're included in this bill? Yeah, so Vermonters will still have uh, fuel, furnace boilers, all of that good stuff in their basements uh, for many years to come because of investments we've made. So for me, uh, biofuels being a part of the uh, the mix in the bill is a way for Vermonters to transition over time, meaning you could have a blended mix of a biofuel that is lower in carbon uh, emissions, but ultimately uh, better than fossil fuel emissions. Uh, it's a part of the bill that we tweaked between last session to this session, in part from hearing concerns from uh, environmental groups. Uh, we have uh, put forward in the bill something called the carbon intensity score. Uh, That looks at the life cycle emissions of any fuel type. Um, In in particular, biofuels is the one we've talked about. Uh, Because not all biofuels are created equal. Uh, Having a cooking oil that's reused that you're heating your home with is different than uh, some uh, biofuels that might be coming from farther distances away. Uh, So the bill has a carbon intensity score while 
uh, looking at how each individual biofuel scores there, it also tapers down over time the ability to use uh, those more carbon-intense fuels uh, over time. So it really allows Vermonters who do have an investment in a a fuel uh, burning source in their home for heat to over time transition away while also being a part of uh, transitioning themselves to a a more carbon, uh, a less carbon emission. So I actually think it's a a critical part of the bill. Something else that's a critical part of the bill that I want you to clear up is this idea of the clean heat credit system. Why have it and what would it do? Oh, Connor, you're asking the perfect question. I mean, I am kind of brilliant. <laughs> you are. Um, well, Upper Valley moment. Uh, <laughs> so there's a lot of ways that you could uh, lower our carbon emissions. And again, this was the number one recommendation from uh, the Climate Council. And that's because it gives us a lot of flexibility with this tradable credit market Uh to allow uh, for fuel dealers to be a part of the transition. What I think about when I think about fuel dealers is not that they're just fuel dealers, but they're people who are heating our homes. They're the people providing comfort. So what a tradable credit market that we envision within this performance standard does is it keeps them as a part of the transition so that your local fuel dealer has a few options. Um, They may not be an obligated party, in the bill. Um, that's largely going to be our, our depots uh, or our, uh, our larger uh, gas utilities, but that still gives your fuel dealers the opportunity and those, those organizations the choice to either A, do the work themselves, meaning they help their customers and they create a new uh, part of their business uh, to support either heat pump installation, weatherization, modern wood heating, all of that, um, which from my last check, three-fifths of our fuel dealers do have a diversified business portfolio that includes heat pump installation. Or they can choose to uh, have the market. They can uh, they can actually uh, assign uh, the ob- uh, they can actually assign a, a, a designated delivery agent to be the organization that is uh, who are creating the credits. So you could see that as a, a weatherization organization or something similar to what we have with Efficiency Vermont for our thermal sector. We got an email from Jerry and Bradford who writes. The Senate Natural Resources and Energy Committee says that this bill will provide a steady stream of funding to support the equity aims of the bill that support low and moderate income Vermonters. How will that work and how will the clean heat credit trading market work? Oh, yeah. So uh, let me take a step back and just say that uh, we are uh, endeavoring on a rulemaking process with this bill. So the Public Utilities Commission, the PUC, are the folks that we are tasking through a uh, a rulemaking process to actually create the program. Uh, so some of the nitty-gritty questions of what is the value of a clean heat credit uh That will be uh, worked out through the technical advisory group, the TAG group, that's identified in the bill. But what Vermonters need to know about equity is that the complexity of this bill 
is in part because of our need to have equity. Uh, we could very simply do a lot of changes to our thermal sector, but that would leave behind the most vulnerable Vermonters, the Vermonters who are the most energy burdened, who I hear from are already struggling to pay their fuel bills. Uh, so what this market does is it allows flexibility for our fuel dealers. It's technology neutral in that way. Uh, and it also encourages uh, the investment on the part of our, our fuel dealers to uh, move their customers away from fossil fuels. Uh, so I envision it similarly to what we've seen in the electric sector with Efficiency Vermont, uh, where we've over time become the most stable electric rate state in the New England area, um, while also reducing uh our use of electricity, having major energy savings. Uh, so that is what Vermonters need to know, is that equity is baked into the bill. We have an equity advisory group that will work with the technical advisory group that's permanent. Uh, and we also have envisioned ways that we can support our fuel dealers as a part of that transition. Let's go to Kathy in Windsor. Kathy, welcome to the show. Hi, I'd like to ask the question about what the um, Global, Solu- Global Warming Solutions Act requirement, uh, one of the things they require, they'll require is weatherizing 90,000 homes and installing 120,000 cold climate heat pumps by 2030. Evidently, this is supposed to be subsidized. I want to know what the, what the subsidies will cost for monitors. And the other thing I want to know is about the... Um, statement that um, Senator White just made about electricity. There's no LIHEAP for electricity, and we all know that if you increase your electric usage, your electric bill will go up. Will there be a subsidy for similar to LIHEAP for Vermonters who can't afford their increased electric bills when all of this takes place? And just for our listeners to know, LIHEAP stands for Low Income Heating Assistance. So let's start with that part of the question first. Sure. And hi, Kathy. Uh, we spoke over the weekend, actually. Kathy's in my district, and um, she had sent me a note. So nice to speak with you again. Uh, so the bill does not um, envision a, a program like LIHEAP for electric use. Um, there there are programs. If you're a Vermonter struggling to um, pay your electric bill, there were uh, supports throughout COVID, um, is my understanding. But Let's really talk about uh, the question of affording how to heat your home, which I think many Vermonters are struggling with. And if you're keeping track of fossil fuel prices, you'll notice that it went up about $2 per gallon this last year. And I think the number we got was a 41% increase in kerosene, for example, uh, year over year. So the unaffordable way to heat our homes is fossil fuels. Uh, and when you compare that to strategic electrification, like making a choice towards a cold climate heat pump, you're not only lowering your fuel usage, so you're getting off of that extremely volatile uh, roller coaster of fuel prices, you're also uh, using a far more efficient way to heat your home. So cold climate heat pumps, uh, the layman's uh, way to think about it is one kilowatt hour of electricity produces about five kilowatt hours of heat or thermal heat. I think this Uh, all sounds really good, but I think what a lot of Vermonters and people who maybe are apprehensive 
about this bill. I think they're worried about the upfront cost. Sure. And that how does that how does that work in terms of helping people save money now? Well, that's the point of the bill. The point of the bill is that there's a gap right now where I hear from constituents that they want to be a part of the transition, but it's not affordable to them. So we need to do this now because we have federal dollars coming our way, which will help Vermonters to the second part of Kathy's question, make the transition to subsidize uh, that work. And we also need to ask our fuel dealers who are profiting uh, off of this uh, type of fuel to be a part of the solution in the same way that we've required uh, our electric utilities for uh, for decades. As a reminder, this bill would make companies that supply fossil fuel heat in Vermont begin to change their business models to sell lower carbon heat to their customers and create a marketplace that companies bringing fossil heating fuels into Vermont would have to participate in. Julie Moore is a secretary for the Agency of Natural Resources. She and the agency don't support this bill. ANR is the agency in charge of emissions reduction in Vermont and would be the one to have to implement the Affordable Heat Act if it gets passed. Secretary Moore, welcome to the show. Good afternoon. Thank you for having me. Now, Secretary Moore, before we dig into the Affordable Heat Act, can you explain to the listeners what your role is with the Agency of Natural Resources and specifically around emissions? Sure. So I'm the Secretary of the Agency of Natural Resources, and ANR uh, provides a myriad of different services when it comes to Vermont's natural resources, um, from stewarding fish and wildlife to forest land to issuing regulatory permits and programs around everything from solid waste to drinking water and wastewater, but also to air pollution. And so we have a role um, preparing Vermont's annual greenhouse gas inventory and tracking our emissions over time. In addition, uh, ANR has played a leading role in the Vermont Climate Council. Many of the, the contracted services that have supported the work of the council have been managed by the agency, and we now have a climate action office within ANR that will be tracking our implementation efforts. Now, I just want to make sure I didn't put words into your mouth. Do you and ANR support this bill? I, I think we share the goal of the, the clean heat standard, absolutely, to, to drive down carbon emissions associated with how we heat our homes and businesses. I think we also have concerns with how the, the bill is currently laid out. So is that a yes or a no? I would say it's it's an it depends. Uh, you know, the goal is is absolutely one that that we need to get after. Uh, Vermont does need to to reduce its its carbon emissions and and work towards the 2050 target established by the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change to effectively decarbonize. Uh, home heating and, and building heat in general is about a third of all the carbon emissions in the state of Vermont. So clearly there is work to be done in that space. Um, and I, I think the clean heat standard may be a good approach. But the, the timeline and many of the unknowns when it comes to costs are challenging and I think questions we need to have answered before we launch forward. And something that I just want to get our listeners caught up on is what would your role be um, if this does pass? So really, the role of the Agency of Natural Resources is one about tracking implementation and um, understanding progress being made towards our greenhouse gas reduction requirements that were established in the Global Warming Solutions Act. Uh, as currently envisioned, the Public Utilities Commission would play the, the primary role in administering the program. And then my sister agency, the Department of Public Service, would be the one who'd actually calculate the value of the, the clean heat credits um, and to determine how many types of different measures are required to meet our goals. 
So in January, you spoke to the Senate Natural Resources Committee about the upfront costs of implementing the Affordable Heat Act. And you said at the time that the numbers you were uh, going to use or that you used were, quote, a back of the envelope math and that, quote, I am confident this is wrong. Some policymakers and climate activists took you to task for sharing those numbers um, Vermont Digger reports that Jared Duvall, a member of the Vermont Climate Council and executive director of the Energy Action Network, called your remarks, quote, inappropriately selective, improperly done, and deeply misleading. So here's the question. Now that you've had more time to talk with policymakers and stakeholders, what do you think about the upfront cost today? I stand by the estimate I offered. Uh, we have a, a pathways report that was developed as part of the work of the Climate Council that shows that there are approximately $2 billion in costs that will be accrued before we reach those long-term benefits that Senator White spoke to. And I really prepared the cost estimate to generate a conversation because the focus has been on the long-term benefits with no real discussion of the upfront costs. Um, it's clear the legislature and advocates were offended by my simplified analysis. But again, I'm just trying to get that conversation started. We can't talk about the long-term benefits without understanding what this will mean to Vermonters in the near term. So, Secretary Moore, the authors of the bill say that the issue has been studied extensively, and it's really premature to give specific costs when the implementation is years down the line. Is it ethical to use numbers that you yourself said are wrong? I think it is. I, I think it's a starting point for a conversation. It, it wasn't intended to suggest that there is no cost. I don't believe that anyone thinks that the upfront costs of this, this bill are zero. Uh, we know that to install, as one of the callers alluded to, 120,000 heat pumps, to weatherize 90,000 homes, and to install, I think, more than 140,000 heat pump water heaters very much comes with a price tag associated with it. There are federal subsidies that are available right now that we think will cover up to a third of that costs, um, but then there's two-thirds of that balance that remains. And some of that will inevitably translate into higher prices on home heating bills. And we just we don't fully know what that looks like, but I think we owe it to Vermonters to dig into those numbers and understand them. Now, we know that a lot of flyers and a lot of people who don't support this bill are using your numbers that you say are wrong. And I just want to dive into this just for like a little bit longer and just uh, get a better understanding of your numbers are being used to actively campaign against this bill, something that you kind of support. Sure. So I'm just curious, like how you justify um, these wrong numbers that you in using your words. Well, I think I, I would back up a little bit from calling them wrong. I would call them simplified. And the, the way I frame them when presenting to committee is a, I grew up in water quality modeling. That's where I started my career and had a, a mentor in that space that would often say, all models are wrong. Some models are useful. Um, that's the, the way I'm using wrong in, in the context of framing the 70 cents. I also think it's useful. Um, it reminds us that the cost for this work is not going to be zero. It's going to come from somewhere. And we need to understand what the effect will be on home heating fuel bills before proceeding. Now, Vermont has legally mandated emissions reductions it has to achieve as laid out by the 2020 Global Warming Solutions Act. What happens if we as a state don't meet those goals? 
Sure. There's a legal cause of action included in the bill, which would mean that that someone could could take the agency of natural resources to task um, for failing to achieve the requirements of the Global Warming Solutions Act. Um, it's unclear at this point what the the court ordered remedy would be, be but um, could include uh, encouraging or directing us to move more quickly to implement programs that exist or to develop new programs, including regulatory measures. Now, Senator White, we still have you with us. Mm-hmm. And I just want to in like uh, briefly just have you respond to what you're hearing from Secretary Moore. Thank you, Connor. And I, I so respect Secretary Moore and the work that she's done. And it was disappointing, I think, as a committee to to get the back of the envelope numbers to, to quote Secretary Moore, um, because they've been used uh, by fuel dealers to create scare tactics where I've had constituents call me frightened that their bills are going to go up. Um, So it is unfortunate. Uh, What I would love for us to work together on are the nitty gritty concerns that Secretary Moore has brought up, which I think the bill works hard to address, uh, which includes a fiscal analysis. So our rulemaking process, we don't just make a rule and it becomes uh, a program just like that, we actually require an economic fiscal analysis in the rulemaking process. So concerns that we don't have enough data or we haven't looked into this enough, that's all a part of the rulemaking process. And in fact, uh, ANR did this exact process with a landmark rule recently, the Advanced Clean Cars and Trucks Initiative. So that process we've seen works to make important changes. And we have checkbacks in the bill. So the legislator will hear, I believe, uh, four different times um, from uh, the rulemaking process on uh, with, with reports on, on how this could affect Vermonters. So this is not rushed. In fact, as my uh, seatmate, Senator McCormick, has often says, it's about 40 years behind. And what I find so hard to understand is, as a younger Vermonter, I don't have time to wait for solutions. And nine reports coming on 10, coming on 11 that will be available by the time uh, we actually start this rulemaking process feels like enough information for me uh, to prove that the responsibility for our carbon pollution should be paid for by the individuals uh, who are profiting from it. So I really hope that we can come to agreement uh, on a step forward and to wait I think is going to cost Vermonters monetarily far more and also far more in our ability to adapt and respond to the crisis we're experiencing. Let's go to Julia and Barry. Julia, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for taking my call. Um, my husband and I live in Barrie and we are really excited about when we moved into our house a couple of years ago, excited about Um, the options to work with Efficiency Vermont to get our house better insulated and get a heat pump because our house is on oil or it is on oil. And we were really disappointed in the whole process. And I would say right now we're really critical of this bill because just to put some numbers out there, the insulation project would have cost us $20,000 and we would have gotten maybe $2,000 from Efficiency Vermont. The heat pump, $25,000, again, about just over two thousand dollars we would have gotten as help for that and so we're looking at just like huge sums of money that um just regular vermonters you know we're in our 30s we don't have tons of money um but we we want to make these changes um and so i guess we're just feeling really um kind of ignored from this bill and wondering 
how how can we stay in Vermont when we're we're really just doing everything we can to like go through all of these channels that we're told like go to efficiency Vermont do all these things and and we we don't have an extra twenty thousand dollars or forty thousand dollars for these projects and it doesn't I don't see how this project or this um, Julia thank you so much uh, for your call I think we got the gist of that I really appreciate you. Um, calling in. Uh, Sen- uh, Senator White, let's have you respond. Yeah, Julia, you're the exact person that we're trying to support in this bill because there are gaps right now in the status quo. Um, there is not a robust way to fund thermal sector transitions away from fossil fuels. We only have one program called Tier 3, uh, which supports our electric sector and switching on that side. So the experience that you're having right now is, in fact, the whole point of the bill, is to create a program that the people who are on the ground, our fuel dealers, are a part of so that they can help you lower that cost for a cold climate heat pump or weatherization and also incentivize you at a greater level. Um, I'll use myself as a personal example where before we purchased our home, we knew that the fuel bills of the home were around $3,000 a year. We were able to get an exceptionally low interest rate loan uh, and to pay around $94 a month for full weatherization of our home. That let us use the second floor and it also lowered our fuel bill to just about $1,000 a year. So there are savings in the long term as I'm sure you saw with those estimates, but that exact upfront cost is where Vermonters are getting tripped up. And then you're unable to save because you're caught in this roller coaster of price volatility with fossil fuels. So you would be exactly uh, the type of people, uh, your family would be the type of people we're trying to support in this bill. So I apologize that there's been misinformation that makes you believe that we'll be forcing this upon you, when in reality, the goal is to give you those opportunities. Secretary Moore, I would love to get your take when you hear Senator White talk about these are the people that she wants that this bill is intended to help, but we have people like Julia who are having a hard time and with these upfront costs. Yeah, I agree, and and that is very much my concern. Uh, you know, as the old saying goes, there's no such thing as a free lunch, and the money needed to make these investments is going to have to come from somewhere. Um, the way the the clean heat credits would work is that uh, fuel suppliers would be required to to obtain those clean heat credits, presumably at a cost to them, and it's a cost that would inevitably be passed on to their customers, um, likely in terms of higher fuel prices. And I think we need to to understand exactly how those those dollars would be allocated in order to ensure we're protecting people like the caller's family. And and I would just add that we have an example of this for the exact question that um, Secretary. Moore is raising, which is Oregon. And they saw a one cent increase in fossil fuel prices, but a seven cent decrease in biofuels, which for folks who are concerned about the cost of their heating fuel, we have a model that we can look to that the market diversified and we lowered the fuel cost as well in Oregon. So I, I do question some of that um, that point. Because but as we, I understand it, the Oregon-Vermont comparison is not an apples-to-apples comparison. And so that is, like, not necessarily an accurate model to say that, like, oh, Vermonters are going to have – it's going to be not as expensive for Vermonters because we're looking at Oregon when it's not apples-to-apples. Sure. It is a a transportation fuel program, and – 
what I why I think it's an, an apt comparison is it's the same type of performance standard model. You know, we use the GREET model uh, for life cycle emissions. There's a lot of similarities to the bill, and uh, although it is slightly different, um, I feel confident that through the rulemaking process, we'll be able to have a deeper understanding of the implications of this bill and look at comparisons like Oregon, where they did see savings and they did see a stabilization of their market. Let's go to the phones and let's talk to Brian and Williston. Brian, welcome to the show. Oh, thanks for taking my call. Uh, I have a question on the uh, the uh, recs that are proposed uh, in this bill. Um, the recs were very successful in the electrical sector, and, and regionally we did that uh, through the Reggie program. Um, but we tried to move that uh, model into the transportation sector regionally, and the whole thing blew up. Um, and in California, the RECs are have not been proven to reduce emissions. So I'm wondering, uh, what is it, what is the evidence that uh, that this REC program is transmissible to to the uh, building sector? And listeners, REC stands for Renewable Energy Credits. Sure. Um, thank you for that question, Brian. Um, and there's a couple of components to your question. Uh, the first is that uh, a renewable energy credit market, I think, has been largely successful in our state, and it is something that we can uh, look at uh, as a way for us to transition our electric sector to be even cleaner and greener. Uh, we did have, um, as Governor Phil Scott um, was not supportive of, have an opportunity within our transportation sector uh, to enter the Transportation Climate Initiative, which I believe is what you're referring to in your question. Um, that is not something we are moving forward with, um, is my understanding, although something that I'm I'm certainly interested in individually. Uh, when I think about the credit market that has been successful for our electric sector, I do want us to be able to take advantage of that market-style program in our thermal sector. And I want to go back to the phones, and I want to talk to John in Stratford. John, thank you so much for being patient with us. Well, thank you for, for having this conversation. I'm a big supporter of the need to do something about climate change, but I'm concerned that about the naming of this bill and its effect on lower-income and middle-income Vermonters. Um, for instance, um, I was looking into solar panels, but... All the tax credits, which are the, which provide a big incentive for solar panels, are only f- for those who pay who make enough to pay federal income taxes. And while there may be limited money from the federal government coming to make these grants, it's limited, and there's no way that you can find out information or get in line on that. Mm-hmm. Secondly, I got an old. Well, John, I'm sorry, we're running out of time, so I'm just going to have uh, Senator White respond to that as quickly as possible. So I appreciate the question, John. You know, this bill prioritizes low-income Vermonters and families first. That's a major component of the bill. Um, And I do think that when we talk about the name change, that was a part of it. Uh, So 32% of the emissions reductions or the the work that our obligated parties like our fuel dealers have to do uh, has to go towards our low and moderate income Vermonters. And we spell that out very clearly in the bill. 
I now want to bring another voice into the show, and that's Rob. That's a Rob Stinger. He's a partner. He's a partner owner, part owner of Simple Energy in Lebanon, New Hampshire. His company delivers heating fuels like propane, fuel oil, and biofuels to customers in Vermont and New Hampshire. They install heating systems from traditional furnaces to electric heat pumps. Rob, welcome to the show. Hey, Connor. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be here today. Thanks so much for joining us. And so, Rob, one of the reasons you oppose the Affordable Heating Act is because you say your customers are already leading the way on lower carbon and zero carbon heating options. Can you explain? I can. Uh, Connor, there's a, there's a movement underway, uh, particularly in Vermont. Uh, we have uh, just under 10,000 residential customers uh, on the Vermont side of Connecticut River. And uh, the, the biggest aspect of our company that's growing right now is in the cold climate heat pump installation sector alongside uh, um, hybrid electric water heaters as well. So there's, there's a natural uh, progression that's been underway here for a number of years that uh, people are transitioning to uh, um, an alternate energy source and bringing those things into their home. Hey, Rob, I think you're on speakerphone, so I'm hoping you can take yourself off speakerphone so to give our audience a clear, uh, so you, we can hear you better. Um, Anyone who's filled up their car or gas pump or has taken a fuel delivery uh, for their home knows that in the last two years has really seen crazy spikes in fuel costs. The pandemic, inflation, and the war in Ukraine have made fossil fuel prices even more volatile. Why not embrace a program that aims to speed up the transition away from fossil fuels and transition you say your customers already want? Yeah, I, I, I understand that, and I, I will tell you that it's it's hard to point to any single source that contributes to price volatility. Uh, the underlying uh, uh, transition that I spoke with is, is people looking to add uh, some level of alternate uh, thermal in their homes. Um, the, the, the important thing to point out is that there is, uh, you know, like with price volatility, there is no one singular magic solution to displacing what currently exists as uh, very reliable, very clean uh, burning fossil fuel. And uh, it, it, this, this particular piece of legislation doesn't accomplish that goal. Now, another reason you're opposed to this bill is because you say there's a labor shortage this bill doesn't address. Explain that for us. Well, it, that's that's really kind of fundamental to my, to my opposition, and that is that we, we can't do this with uh, without electricians. As you said in the opening, my, my company is already engaged in uh, selling and installing uh, solar, uh, geothermal, and cold climate heat pumps. Um, all of those things have one thing in common, and that is uh, the electrical trade. And uh, it, there's, there's just not an abundant supply in that particular workforce, and the development of that force is wildly expensive. Uh, I, I wish that I could snap my fingers and, and create the workforce necessary, but the, the fact remains is that, that young people are not moving into the trades like we need them to. Uh, it's a great career. There are great opportunities. We just are not seeing the numbers that we need. That's Rob Stenger. He's a part owner of Simple Energy in Lebanon, New Hampshire. Rob, thank you so much for joining us today. It's a pleasure. Thanks for having me. Secretary Moore, um, I saw you with a lot of reactions on your face. Let's get your response. Sure. I just want to uh, reiterate some of the concerns that, that Rob shared about workforce, um, and they extend beyond just electricians. We know that there are currently about 770 people in Vermont that are engaged in the work to weatherize Vermont homes. Um, but the Energy Action Network has estimated we'll need more than 6,000 people in those careers by 2030. 
for context, the Department of Labor is currently reporting there are only about 4,100 Vermonters that are unemployed and seeking employment. So it will be a, a massive shift in careers um, that is required to, to have the capacity to do that work. And I think, you know, it's... It, needs calls for a healthy dose of reality about the the pace of the transition that's envisioned by the clean heat standard versus what is is realistic given conditions on the ground in Vermont. And Senator White would love to get your response to what you heard from Rob. Yeah, I what I heard Rob describe was how I feel about the bill needing energy independence for Vermonters, where we are, as he pointed out, there is no one thing that impacts price volatility. Comparatively, in our electric market, we have much more control uh, over price and that volatility. Vermonters are being held in the status quo. We're locked in to this market that has uh, extreme uh, financial uh, risks for all of us. So let me just address one final point, which is we will be transitioning off fossil fuels, either by disaster or by design. And what this bill does is it envisions a plan so that we can transition off of those fossil fuels without leaving behind the most vulnerable Vermonters. Because the customers that Rob has that are transitioning are wealthier people. And the people who are being left behind are the vulnerable Vermonters. So for me, I think the obligation remains with our fuel dealers who have profited off of the pollution that comes from fossil fuels. And they need to be partners in this transition. And while they ask for workforce money, that's the point of this bill, is to help us afford to make that transition. And I'm going to jump in. And just like I, there's one more thing that I want to touch upon before we this ends. And that a major sticking point with the governor last year was the role of the public utility commission. And this year, we are finding ourselves maybe in the same problem with the legislature not um, doing oversight of or not um, setting the rules itself uh, for the role of the public utility commission. Why is that? So we have four checkbacks in the bill as it stands. So I do believe, and this is a rulemaking process that the legislature does commonly, and it's not handing it off to the Public Utilities Commission saying, we don't want to see it again. It's a process and one that we do all the time. And we did- And explain checkbacks. Uh, checkbacks would be reports that the legislature sees. So that so you do what do you think how do you think this bill is going to do as we look to the future? Well, I hope uh, that we don't have it vetoed by Governor Phil Scott, uh, and I do hope that we continue to see the support that we've gotten from colleagues, uh, and that this bill passes uh, out of the Senate and over to the House side. Where again, this is a process, and I'm I'm so thrilled that you had us on to talk about the Affordable Heat Act because as a younger Vermonter, as someone who grew up in a low income situation. This is the type of innovative legislation that we need to transition off of fossil fuels. We're going to have to leave it there. I want to thank my guests. We had Senator Becca White of Windsor, one of the sponsors of the bill. Thank you so much, Senator White. Thank you, Connor. We also had Julie Moore, Secretary of the Agency of Natural Resources. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you.